what was coming, even if it were a, a little ways down the road, I can endure whatever's going we're going through right now. Maybe somebody loses their job and things are looking really difficult for them, and it's like, well, if you just knew in two months this awesome job with awesome pay and what you've always wanted is there, you, your whole two months would just be different. You'd just get through it. But not knowing what's there causes the anxiety, causes the pain, causes the worry, causes all these things. And so if you believe that God is in control of that, then that is supposed to give us a certain amount of rest. Now, it's a different kind of life that you live. It's like, well, you lost your job. But in two months, you're going to be, you know, the whatever you always wanted to be, and we're just going to give you money. Well, you would live this two months a lot differently. So God doesn't give us that. God tells us there's hope, there's a future, but you're supposed to live your life in a particular way regardless of what is up here. And so that's what God has given us. And he says to the Hebrews, it's like, I know you're going through trouble. I know you're having hardship. I know that it would be physically easier for you to abandon church for you to abandon Christ and go live the way your family, your friends, and we all have that. We have liberal friends. We have um, non-Christian friends. We have Wiccan friends. We have pagan friends. We have friends who think they're believers and they're not. We have all friends, family, just like this. And it's easier for us, increasingly easy for us in our culture to just sort of be more like them and less like us because then the car drives a little smoother down the road and Jesus says that way leads to death. So what we need to do is we have to be the light for those people and you know I've said before one of my little analogies is you know you're either a cockroach or a moth and the difference is you know you turn the lights on in the middle of the night I know y'all never lived in a house like this and our house is not like this either anymore hey but back in columbia where i used to live there are giant cockroaches you turn on the light boom they fly they flee but um when you turn on the light the moths are attracted to it and so as christians we're supposed to be like moths we're attracted to this light but there are going to be people who are attracted to you because of the light there are going to be people who are repelled because of your light and so you're going to have to try to figure out how do i get along with people because you should but is it at the expense of truth? Is it at the expense of the gospel? And what you will do, and what we have to be careful of doing, is we will allow the world to chisel away and soften away and make our faith a little more palatable so that when I do deal with them, it's not so caustic. It's not so difficult. And we don't know the ways in which we've allowed people we care about and want to get along with to shape the way we think and believe so that we can have a better Thanksgiving. And this is going to be one of the worst ones. This is going to be, for a lot of places in the, our country, this is going to be a tough one. There's going to be family members that won't show up. I mean, forget the virus stuff, but just because of ideological differences. You know, what can you and can you not bring up at the table with certain people? You know, we, we live in a very difficult time. So, you know, cheer up. It's a lot worse than you think it is. And God's grace and power is far greater than you ever imagined. And so this letter addresses this. Like, how did the people of old deal with this stuff? And it's by faith. And so we read this section, beginning in 17 through verse 22. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. 
We pray that you would encourage us by it, that you would strengthen our faith, and that you would continue to just have us to follow you and to live in a Christ-like manner so that there were many who wanted to kill you, but many sinners were drawn and attracted to you. So we pray that you would help us, that if we are repulsive in any way, it's really because of the gospel and not because we're just jerks, that it's it, that we love each other and that we only bring things up when it needs to be brought up, but that we seek to live at peace with all people, but not at the expense of truth. And we pray that you would teach us your truth by your word again this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. The word of the Lord. So we're going to look at each one of these for for just a moment. Um, Abraham, by faith, when he was tested offered up Isaac. Now, one of the things that we need to be aware of is that um, we, too, will be tested. There's a difference between being tempted and being tested. God doesn't tempt anyone with sin, he, but he does, um, we pray, don't lead us into temptation, which is a, a tricky... Again, the Lord's Prayer is a very interesting, powerful prayer, but not to be led into temptation... Um, isn't that God is tempting us, but that he says, you know, sometimes, well, you need to understand something about yourself, young man. You know, he may say a young woman. Um, so I'm going to lead you into this and let you see what you're going to choose and how that's going to turn out. So as a discipline thing, as a teaching method, as, as him being a good heavenly father, sometimes he, he tests our faith. And we're going to look at what that testing means in just a little bit too. But be aware that your faith will be tested. And the test for Isaac was, you know, are you going to be, two things, are you going to believe my promises and are you going to love your son more than me? And both of these things have been very difficult. So if you read commentaries on this, some people focus on, you know, how awful it must have been to be called to sacrifice your own child. Now, at this time, he was probably an adult of some ways, at least a teenager, a little bit older. He could have, uh, there's the distinct probability that Isaac was submissive in this, that as Abraham explained to him uh, what is happening and what God, God has called him to, that he willingly goes, as Jesus willingly goes, but we see here that Abraham's reasoning, we see through the Holy Spirit, was that um, he, he must be going to receive his son back from the dead. Now, why would he think that? And first of all, and I've talked about this before, if you believe God has given you direct revelation, um, and so then I'm afraid of what you might hear God say, because I'm not sure that's always God giving you direct revelation, but he has given you direct revelation in his word. 
So make sure you're applying his word to the things that you feel called to do and the things that you want to do in the world and talk to other believers, especially when you start to feel like what you want to do is a little bit different than maybe you think it's out of the ordinary for you or, or something like that. Then say, hey, I feel like I want to do this. I think sometimes we in the Reformed faith, too, use a little bit too much of this idea of being called by God um, as an excuse to do all sorts of things. And sometimes, well, a pastor, and I'm not saying this to your chagrin possibly, but I'm not. what happens a lot of times when a pastor gets ready to leave the church and he's called to another church, uh, he says, God has called me to this other church. Well, why are you leaving? God's called me there. Okay, why are you leaving? Well, God's called me. All right, that settles it. But we, at the same time in Reformed faith, don't necessarily believe, don't believe that God speaks directly to you in a way that he says, John, go there. And therefore, I have to disobey anything anybody else says because he has directly told me to go there. What the Bible talks about is um, that we desire certain things. That if an, if an elder, uh, oh, what's the word? If an elder desires the office, if he seeks the office, anybody knows what that word is there? I can't think of it aspires that's it if he aspires to the office of an elder then the church should test him and i think that's true if you aspire and there's nothing wrong to aspiring to something to want something to desire to do something more than what you're doing it's a good thing nothing wrong with it but you may not have gifts for it but if god called you to do it and then the church says brother i don't think that's what you called to you're in, you're in disobedience to god's will so you have to be very careful how we use this idea of calling and everything. But the way God spoke to Abraham is different than the way God speaks to us. So does the Bible tell us that? Thank you for asking. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, he starts his letter off and he says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And now he talks about who his son is. And then we have the word of God, the word of his son made true for us. But you will be tested. And the way you'll be tested is the word of God will say, you need to do this or you need to believe this. And you're going to say, eh, it'd be easier for me, it'd be better for me if I just did something else. You know, I just want to be happy. Um, and then you read the word of God and it says, you know, you're supposed to do this. And so that's a test. Or you may at times be led in front of someone and you know you should share the gospel. This is the opening, but you keep your mouth shut because fear of man, fear of something. And that was a test. And it doesn't mean God's going, you know, you get little angels up there going, eh, Glenn didn't do so good today. Might not be making it into heaven. Throw some more angels down there at him. I got to help him out. You know, it's not like that. It's like the only reason God helps you to be more Christ-like is because he saved you. So he has saved you. He's given you his son. He's adopted you. He does these things for the believer. And he will let a believer, he will lead a believer to a test so that our faith can be strengthened. You don't know what you believe until you have to act on that belief. You might say, hey, I believe that rope bridge. I talk about rope bridges a lot because <laughs> I don't walk across them. Yeah, I believe that rope bridge will hold me up. All right, walk across it. Mm. <laughs> you know, you just tested your faith right there, buddy. That's one thing to say you believe. It's another actually walk across it. It is another, like some of my idiot friends, to jump up in the middle of it and start shaking it and doing it like this. Now you're testing 
the Lord. And you have to be careful with things like this because God's word is true and you follow what he says. But don't put the Lord to the test by saying, I will see what he will do if I do that to try to say, prove yourself, oh God. That's not our position. He is the one who tries and tests us so that we can see the things that we truly believe. He gives Abraham this tremendous test of faith. And I can only speculate as to why this was the particular one, but the thing is he promised him that by, through Isaac, your, your gener, generations are going to be born. This is the promise. He said it's not through Ishmael, it's through Isaac that the promise is going to come. Now go sacrifice Isaac. <laughs> Wait a minute. If I sacrifice Isaac, I can't, your promises can't come true because you promised. So the only way I can figure this is he's going to raise Isaac from the dead. That's the point at which Abraham is now in his faith. He'd gone through a lot of other struggles in his faith where he wasn't so faithful. But he had learned along the way, God speaks, that settles it. I obey. That's an amazing place where he is. It can also be that um, this whole concept of uh, misplaced love. Who do you love more? I think you see Adam and Eve, uh, and it says clearly in the Bible that Eve was deceived. Adam was not deceived. But he still ate, which is worse in a way. So Eve was deceived, then why did he eat? And I think it must be some of the reason that we see a repeated theme in scripture is that if she's dead, I'm dead too. I might as well join her in whatever this is, that he was following his wife rather than following the Lord. And there's lots of things. He should have protected her. He should have stopped her. He should have spoken up. He should have done all these things, but he didn't. But now you have another instance of who are you going to love more? Couldn't have a kid. They're way beyond the age of having children. And they both laugh when they hear the idea of having a kid. They, Isaac gets named laughter because his mom's laughing over the idea that she could be pregnant. And then here he is. And he's beautiful. He's awesome. We got him. He's the promise. This is all the things that God has promised. I see it. And now you had to sacrifice him. You know, and we're not called to the same type of sacrifices and same types of tests but we will be tested in our faith and the reason this instant incident is recorded here is because the holy spirit is telling these people in that church and he's telling the people in this church through his word that the only way abraham did that was by faith because he believed and he trusted god that's it you have to believe and you have to trust God. That's how obedience takes place. Your obedience doesn't earn your way into heaven. Your obedience isn't what saves you or else you can never have any assurance for salvation because you're never going to be good enough. Only Jesus Christ was good enough. But it's by faith we're saved. If your faith is a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, get up and, and, and be thrown into the sea. And we want our faith to increase. So I'm going to jump ahead here because I keep butting up against this and stopping because I know I'm going to talk about it in a minute. So let's go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. So hold your place here. It's just a few pages over. 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> Sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1. 
beginning in verse 3. going to read this little section here verses 3 through 9 and and listen to what Peter says on the same thing about the testing of our faith so he starts he says blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to now this is our future blessing to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, if you believe that, that affects the way we live our life. Knowing there is something there waiting, kept imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Let me just stop there a second. It's God's power that's guarding you. But it's through faith. This is the way he's guarding you is through faith. For what? For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that... Now here's a purpose for your various trials. You've had various trials. Well, I've had these various trials. Well, it's probably because you don't have enough faith a lot of Pastors may say, if you had more faith, you wouldn't go through these trials. If you had whatever. But he doesn't say that. You've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith. And what you do with gold is you test the gold. You, you um, heat it. The dross comes off. The impurities come off. And you purify the gold by, by subjecting, subjecting it to heat. And this is the analogy that the Holy Spirit through Peter is using for our faith. It's being subjected to pressure. It's being subjected to heat. And it's going to be something that may may not seem pleasant at the time, but if, you've, if your faith, if a pure, solid, golden, clear golden faith is what's so important, then these things are necessary to, to help you work. Because when you go through a hard time, your, your faith is tested. You know it is. What do I believe? I thought that I wasn't supposed to go to these things because Jesus. It's like, well... Maybe you need to read the Bible differently this time. Maybe you need to pray with some other people. And now you're going to figure out, uh, you had some problems with your faith. Okay, Not just how much you believe, but the content of your faith. So sometimes trials occur in our lives so that the content of our faith is purified. So that we have more accurate belief about God. Because if you believe incorrect things about Jesus... And if you believe too much, too many incorrect things about Jesus, you are worshiping an idol. So you have to be very careful. There are some people who says, I cannot believe in the God who would send anybody to hell. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, your God would never send anybody to hell. That's right. Well, you're, you, you have an idol there because that's not the God of the Bible. And so that's the things that, that God will do. It's the tested, and we're back in the second part of verse 6, 7, sorry, verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through, though you have not seen him, you love him. So we have to ask ourselves, do we love Christ? 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the outcome of your faith. So if the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls, if we believe we're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, and it's not just faith in anything, but faith in Christ, and the result of our faith is salvation of our souls, what do you possibly have that's more important than your faith? What can you give to your children that's more important than your faith? What can you give to your neighbor that's more important than your faith? What can you do? When I mean give them your faith, what I mean is live it out in front of them. Make sure they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make sure that they know that even if they don't believe it, you sure do. So if your children grow up not believing, they at least look at you and go, Mom, Dad, I know you get it. I know you believe this. I don't think you're lying about what you believe. I just don't believe it myself. And then continue to pray for them, share the gospel with them, and pray that what is happening to them even is they are being led in the various trials for the perfecting of their faith too. And so we have to just trust God with these things. And then we let God be God. But even these things can test our faith as we see loved ones who maybe fall away. Can try your faith. So we continue to trust in God. And then we get to verse 20 in Hebrews 11. By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. So we ought to be as certain of the blessings to come, which God has promised, as if they are present. So we have to make sure that we're so certain, because he invoked future blessings on them when yet he didn't see the realization of the promises given to him yet. And then Jacob is blessed he gets the blessing of the firstborn. It should have been Esau. Jacob lies about it. They get this whole thing with, with um, Isaac where he can't see good at the end. And um, Jacob lies as he deceives his father. But he's the one that's chosen by God. God uses that to fulfill his purposes. And so one of the things I think, because there's lots of other things Hebrews could have said here, but it's this one. And the, the hearers would have known the story. They would also know that Jacob is renamed Israel. They all have this name Israel because he wrestled with the angel. And the angel doesn't let him go until he says, you know, asks Jacob, he says, what is your name? Which is the same thing Isaac had asked him because he sounded like Esau, but he couldn't see him. And his arm was hairy because he faked the hair. And he's like, are you, you sound like Esau. And he says, I'm Jacob. Lied. I mean, he says, I'm Esau at the time. He says, my name is Esau. And he lied. So the angel that he's wrestling with says, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. He has to profess the truth now, which means usurper, heel grabber. He says, I rename you Israel, he who struggles with God. So we see progression of faith, but we see these promises that Isaac's faith in the promises of God allowed him to bless both Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob... This promise continues to be passed forward till we get to Jesus Christ finally. 
when dying, now these, this is all pointing to end of life stuff. Where did someone get into our lives so that when we are, hopefully if we live long enough to be considered elderly, that we still have faith. We still have hope that we still are living by clinging to the promises of God. And he says that when Jacob, when he was dying, because he's now a changed man too by his faith, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph's not the oldest son either. And he gets a double blessing. The oldest son is supposed to get a double blessing. But by faith, God directing the hands of Jacob to bless Ephraim and Manasseh, they become two tribes. There's no Joseph tribe. There's Ephraim and there's Manasseh. So there's two tribes that get named through Joseph. And he bows in worship over the head of his staff. And then Joseph, at the end of his life, again, he keeps pointing for endurance to the end of life. He made mention of the exodus of the Israelites. And I had to remember that when Joseph does this, Joseph dies, it's, exodus, it's Genesis 50. I was going to go read it. We don't have time to, to go and read it, really. But um, he just says, when he's dying, he says, Make sure you take my bones back to Canaan. Take my bones to the promised land. Take my bones back to the land. Because they'd already been, received a, a prophecy earlier that Israel is going to be held in captivity for 400 years. They're going to be released and they'll return to the promised land. He says, when that happens, take my bones back. He's living in Egypt. He's living in prosperity. He's living in a time when he's the second in command. And everything's good. There's no reason for him to think that they're going to go back except that God has made promises. And he says, and I want you to do is keep up with my body and you take my bones back with you when you go. And so when the Exodus occurs in Exodus 13, Moses, they take the bones of, J of um, Abraham of Joseph, they take the bones of Joseph with them because they know they're going to the promised land that Joseph foretold long ago by faith. And it's like, we're taking them. And then they get into the promised land. And in Joshua chapter 24, they bury him there. So that it is fulfilled centuries later. But it was by faith that Joseph was able to do Everything that Joseph did. And you could go through Joseph's life and say, look, by faith what he did, by faith what he did. But instead, in this section, is look what these men did at the end of their lives as they pass on the faith, the blessings to their children, and they look forward, even though they die not seeing these promises all fulfilled, they know they're going to be fulfilled. And how much more so in our lives do we know the promises to us will be fulfilled? And so what we have to ask ourselves is not just what do you believe about the future, because that controls your behavior. There's a, there's a famous experiment that took place um, years ago. You've probably heard it where they had an a, um, aquarium and they put fish in it and they would feed the fish. And then they took a, um, a glass divider and put it in an aquarium so the fish couldn't see the divider. And they would... Um, Feed the, put the food on one side and they had the fish on the other side. So the fish would take off and hit the glass and hit the glass, hit the glass. And, uh, and they kept doing it and they'd take off and hit the glass, hit the glass. You know, again, hit the glass, hit the glass. And then finally they just, food would come there like, well, we can't get to it. We just don't do it. So then they removed the glass and they put the food in and the fish starved to death because they believed 
in what they couldn't see because they had experienced something that always stopped them from being able to get there. But when that was removed, nothing could convince them that they could get to the food. And so what you believe controls your behavior in some powerful way. We're not fish, but the same thing can happen. You convince yourself that something is true and nothing can convince you otherwise at times. So that's why we have to have the word of God convincing us of what is true. And God will use things to test your faith so that you begin to understand whatever glass barriers there are there keeping you from whatever it is that God wants you to do. Maybe they're not there anymore. You follow God to where he says to go. But what you believe about the future controls your behavior for today. But we also have to understand that who what we believe about the promiser controls what we believe about the future too. So what are the blessings and promises for God's people? That's the question. What does God promise for us? What are we supposed to be looking forward to? What are, what are we supposed to be hanging all our hope on that causes us to, us to live our lives differently now? So let's look um, briefly at this. So go to the book of Ephesians. So it's New Testament, all of Paul's writings are the other Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So Ephesians chapter 1. Read the section 3 through 14 and just listen to, for promises, for things God's telling us, how we should live, what we should have faith in, and all these things. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And Paul's writing, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So no matter what situation you're in, you need to be able to say, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I might not have anything right now. I might be suffering right now, but he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And this is past tense. This is now, this is past. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained, okay, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So if you had some wealthy uncle, if you ever watched Sanford's son, he always had his empire. And he says, son, I'm leaving you my empire but his empire was a junkyard, but it was, he's kind of making a joke about it. So Amy and I say this to, to our children sometimes. Behave better, because this empire is what you get one day. And if you knew you had a wealthy family member, 
and says, you're the one that's going to inherit all this stuff. Millions of dollars, billions of dollars, gazillions of dollars. Then, you know, I don't know, maybe you're looking forward to that. We've been watching, what's the, the, the Crown? Was that the movie? Yeah, what's the one where it's like, and, and, and who's the Prince Edward? Who's the, I don't keep up. Prince Charles is going to be king when his mother dies. And she's still going. <laughs> You're not going to be king, man. <laughs> she's, she's living forever. You know, but there is an inheritance waiting for us. So we might like, well, okay, i got to wait for my family member to die before I get this inheritance. But in this case, it will wait for us to die before we get this inheritance. So we're looking forward to that day. We don't hasten the day of our death because we're supposed to be working here for now. It's better that we're here for other people and for the testing of our faith. And that we, uh, God is, right now counts forever, as R.C. Sproul has said, that he's working an eternal weight of glory in us so that when we're in heaven our inheritance is all the sweeter all the greater because of the things that we go through and experience now until we acquire possession of it and then you go to romans which is back towards the front of the bible just a little bit so matthew mark luke acts romans chapter 8 romans eight twenty-eight. romans 8 28 Romans 8:28 We know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose for those who he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Justified means to be declared righteous. You've been declared, made innocent in the court of God. And those who were justified, he also glorified. That's past tense. Do you feel glorified? Because you ain't yet, but that's all right. It's okay to feel that way because <laughs> he's already said it's true. So that the Bible speaks in such a way that it's already past tense because it's going to happen in the future. But he's already saying he's already done it. Because when God says it, it's as good as done. This is what we have to look forward to. Not only are all the people around you going to be sinless and glorified, which at this particular time it makes us wonder if you lived in a neighborhood of sinless people, would you feel very welcome there? And it's like, yes, you would, because we don't understand sinlessness. We think of it as, as a sinful person. How would they be if they were sinless? And that's, I mean, it's weird things we do in our brains. But Jesus is what it was like. And I think we think if Jesus lived in our neighborhood, we would avoid him a lot. We wouldn't invite him to our house because we might not want to be under that kind of scrutiny. But if you knew Jesus, he'd be the first one you'd want to see every day when you woke up. You'd be hoping he's out there I was going to say walking his dog. I don't know. But you hope that Jesus is out there somewhere. You hope you run into him. You hope that you see him. You're like, there he is. Go run and talk to him. Whereas we think if, we were, if you had more Christ-like people in your neighborhood, you'd be like, oh, no, here they come. They're going to come over and tell us the gospel or something. They're going, you know, it's like, it's, no, we, we miss it. We ought to be the people that, unless they're just reject, because people did put Jesus to death, too. But the ones who recognize their sin, the ones who recognize the fact they needed him so much, he welcomed them, and, and he was even open in his arms to those who were rejecting him as well. But that we have future glorification. 
that we can look forward to and get through this stuff. So not only is everybody around us going to be really cool, but we're going to be glorified too. So that if you see somebody today, I've thought about different people that I, I think are believers, but they've got different problems or something that really makes them difficult to deal with. And maybe they have um, even um, like some heavy, severe psychological, emotional problems. And they, they're just, um, you know, they're, they're difficult. They're, you know, it's sort of like people that you, you, you want to help, but are so difficult and you just end up sort of like, you know, you, you don't want to avoid them, but you end up doing it. And then you think if I see that person in heaven, it's just going to be like, You've got to be able to see the people now like you would see them in heaven. You'd be, you'd be thinking of falling down and worshiping them if you could see them now because they were going to be so grand and glorious. But then we'll be like this too so that we have this to look forward to. Every tear wiped from every eye. Revelation 21, verse 1. So Revelation, <clears throat> last book in the Bible. 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth First heaven, first earth passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his guide, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is a second death. So there's two possible outcomes. One, you get dealt with as your sin deserves. Two, you're hidden in Christ who was dealt with as your sin deserves. And you get to enter into his inheritance because he has died for you he has earned this for you but you are only united to him by faith so through faith in christ we repent of our sin we turn from it turn to him and say you are lord you are savior i believe you're truly god you were raised from the dead on the third day and that he will save you and this is how god loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that all the believers in him would not perish but have eternal life and that's our hope, and that's the promise, and that's what gets us through this life. That's what enables us to live today in light of tomorrow. And then the last thing to read, John 14, verse 1, says, there's certain songs and certain passages that are read so often at funerals that I'm afraid we tend to only sing them and read them at funerals. But John 14, 1 is read at funerals because it's the blessed hope of God. And this is what we're looking forward to. And I think sometimes we, we read it in such a way that don't, don't mourn too much now because you're going to see them again. But Jesus is saying, don't mourn too much now because you're going to see me again. You're going to be with me. This is where we're all coming to. So John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. 
Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions in the King James. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So these are the promises we have. That you can come to the Father through Jesus. That we have this faith. We have this hope. It's an anchor in the heavens, as Hebrews, said, Hebrews has said earlier. And then in a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, where he says, we have covenanted. We, you have been watched by the Holy Spirit. You have been cleansed of your sins, and you identify with me. We are one. Just like a husband and wife. You're married, the two become one flesh. And there's this covenantal union that takes place before God. And that's an image of the gospel. So that when we think of that, and we think of that's our, the church's union with Christ is one body. He is the head, we are the body. He is the groom, we are the bride. And he will come for us. And we have an inheritance and we have him now. We have the Holy Spirit given to us as a pledge. And that's what baptism represents. The gift of the Holy Spirit now. And then we have the Lord's Supper, which represents the work of Christ, the Spirit of Christ on our behalf that feeds us now. That says, you can't get through this by yourself. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But you're not apart from me. You're with me. I am with you. This is, a, this is one of those things a lot of churches will say, now it's time if you want to re rededicate your life to Christ. Come forward. You want to rededicate your life. And I'm not telling you come forward. We could all come forward, but this will be a hopefully, we all rededicate our lives to Christ. This is it. You're declaring to Christ, to the demons, to flesh, to the world, to ourselves. He died. He died for me. And he told me, told us to take and eat, to take and drink. This is my body given for you. This is the blood of the new covenant given for you. I died for you, therefore you are mine, and I will come for you again. And we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we believe this, and we hope for this. And right now counts forever, and what you believe about that definitely impacts the way you behave and believe and act today. So let's pray. Lord, we pray that we know we must have faith in Jesus Christ, that you have commissioned your church to make disciples of the nations. So we're to be baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're to teach them to observe all that you've commanded therefore we are to deserve. Help us to demonstrate our faith by the things that we do. That we would know whether we truly trust him or not. Because there will be many tests in our lives. And how we respond will show what we really believe so we hope that we will learn the lessons. Because we know you already know where we are. These tests are for us. And so we thank you for the testing of our faith. Because Peter says it's the most precious thing that we have. And we live in serious times right now. I'm not talking about culturally. I'm talking about us right here, right now. As we confess again, do we really believe? Do we really love Christ? And then do we do what he tells us to do in his word? 
that we believe, we confess, and we are to follow. And now you tell us that we are to feed on you because you are our life. You are here with us right now, and this counts forever. And in your holy name we pray. Amen.